Of course, you probably can tell by what we've been singing, today's focus is on Christ's return. Revelation chapter 22 actually will be the chapter that we're going to be studying this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to those places. Well, in the 1970s and 1980s, when I was growing up, a lot of the TV shows and movies focused on the end of things is near. A lot of those had the individual standing on the street corner holding up the cardboard sign actually saying the end is near. You've probably seen a movie or a TV show very similar to that. Well, one of my favorite cartoons uh, growing up as an 11-year-old was Thundar the Barbarian. Does anyone remember what that show was? to get up on Saturday mornings, could not wait to watch that. And if we had a basketball game that happened during it, I was always frustrated because I missed that week's episode. Well, in the beginning dialogue of that movie, when the opening scene started, part of the script was from out of space comes a runaway planet hurling between the earth and the moon, unleashing cosmic destruction. Man's civilization is in ruins. Guess what year that happened? 1994. How about that? Of course, as an 11-year-old, I thought, my goodness, we're only 14 years away from the earth being destroyed. And so I was drawn into the cartoon, and 2,000 years later, according to the cartoon, earth was reborn, and Thundar, of course, came about with his mighty sun sword. Anyway, very funny. When we talk about the book of Revelation, oftentimes that is the mindset of especially a lost world when they think of end things, destruction, Uh, Whatever that would look like, whether it be uh, the environment or asteroids colliding and colliding with our planet or whatever was to take place, that uh, revelation is the story of doom and gloom. Uh, Even for many believers, I would say, at times they consider the book of Revelation to be just that instead of focusing on what we're going to be talking about today, that Jesus is coming and that Jesus is coming soon, which really should produce in our hearts and lives much joy if we are his because of the promises that we hold and that we have as followers of his, that one day we will be with him in eternity. There are some great truths that are lined out within this section of scripture, in particular the ending of the Bible, the book that we hold to, that we study, that we love, given to us directly by God. All of God's word is Scripture, all of God's word, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It is the inerrant word of God, the very words of God to us. And so this last section, very important in the way that we are to live our lives out. Before we start reading verses 6 through 21, though, let's pray together. God, this morning we are grateful for your allowing us First and foremost, to have a relationship with you, to know you. Second, we are grateful for the truths that we are about to look at related to the end of things, the end of time, at least on this planet, when we leave here as followers of you and spend an eternity with you. God, great joy, anticipation, hope in our hearts and lives for what is coming. And so, God, as we read through this together, as we spend time studying, I pray that you would help us, that you would produce in hearts of ours expectation, anticipation, and to see that our work is far from done here on this planet with these individuals whom we know. We love you and trust you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, so let's begin by reading Revelation 22, verse 6. We're going to actually read all the way through the end of the chapter. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. These, of course, being penned by John, we are now plunged into the vision of what's coming, the presence of the angel and of God in his life looking ahead. And behold, I am coming soon, Jesus states. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel you showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. But the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. The one who is thirsty, come, and let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. So anytime something is repeated, multiple times, especially in a condensed amount of scripture, such as these verses, we see that it's very important. Obviously, a point is trying to be made, trying to be conveyed to the readers and to those who are a part of it. And we see three times, verse 7, verse 12, and verse 20, Jesus states, I am coming, I am coming soon. Obviously, we recognize and realize that one of the primary points, if not the primary point of this section of scripture is to remind us that Jesus is coming. Of course, this being penned long ago, centuries past, all who have lived, who have been followers of Jesus, have looked forward to his coming. Many have believed that he is returning in their day and time. Now, there are different theological expressions, perspectives on the timing of Christ's return. Will it be before tribulation, during tribulation, after tribulation? What is the timing of that? And actually, many have even written books trying to lay out exactly what the timing will be. There are pastors who devote their entire lives to the study of that, theologians trying to determine the return of Christ, the timing of that. 
1988, if you were around then, again, going back to childhood, there was a book written by a man who was a NASA engineer named Edgar Wisenant. I don't know if you're familiar with him or not. The name of the book was 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. Does anyone remember that book? Okay, we as a church family, uh, back my growing up church, studied that book. Actually, our pastor did a series on that book. Initially, the dates were in September, and then it got pushed back. And then once he didn't return in 1988, at the end of it, December 31st to January 1st, he then wrote a couple of additional books. Why Jesus Coming Back in 1989. Why Jesus Coming Back in uh, 2000, 2000, the year 2000, and additional articles. Well, that writer, author, uh, has since gone to be with the Lord. So he is with the Lord coming of uh, the Lord for him, of course, being in person there with him. Now uh, he realizes that obviously he was wrong as far as his timing uh, went as far as Christ's return. We get so focused or pigeonholed on looking at Christ's return in the date or the time, we lose perspective of what really it is all about. Uh, There are some commands that are given actually throughout this section of scripture. We also typically don't see Uh, commands given when we consider the book of Revelation. We see it all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. But this section of scripture in particular shows us two or three different things to which we can respond to in obedience to Christ. And that actually is the first one, the emphasis on being obedient, especially in these last times. I don't want to spend very much time on this section of scripture because we're actually going to be studying 2 Timothy in the fall But 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 tells us, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Are there terrible times in these days right now? Yes. Were there a thousand years ago? Yes. Were there 2,000 years ago in the day of Jesus? Yes. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Do we even have to mention cell phones and selfies? Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, How about that one to hold on to? Ungrateful, unholy, without love, a loveless society, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, saying they know him, but denying its power, denying him altogether, Then we see the phrase or the sentence, have nothing to do with such people. There is a stark contrast between those who actually know Christ, falling more deeply in love with Christ, and for those who don't. They may have a claim to it, but actually walking with him, following him in obedience, and their lives shining as a result because of being so in love with Jesus and so in love with his word as that study takes place, permeates our hearts and lives, changes us from the inside out where people can actually see something different. And it's our response to him in obedience. Obedience, not because we have to, but obedience because we love him so much. That's our automated or natural response to him. The more we get to know God, the more we see his holiness, the more we recognize and see our own unholiness, the further we are plunged into grace and the mercy of God because of his love for us in spite of ourselves should produce in our hearts obedience, doing what we're told to do when we're told to do it with happy hearts. That's one of the best definitions I've ever had, especially uh, for children. We've talked about that over the course 
of the summer. Jesus said in verse 7, I am coming soon, and blessed is the one who keeps the words of this book. That is our calling, initially, to keep the words of what Christ has instructed us to keep in this book. We also see in John chapter 3, he's saying the same thing. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it. And take to heart what is written, because the time is near. God's return is nearer now than it was 2,000 years ago. He is coming. He is coming soon. So the first emphasis that we see throughout that first section of verses, in particular, verses 6 through 11, is that we are called to a life of obedience. Next, we see something that can be an uncomfortable topic for many followers of Jesus, the aspect or what is coming in judgment. Of course, we know there's a different judgment that takes place for followers of Jesus and for the lost. The lost in particular on that day, those who have not surrendered their lives, as we know it is destined for man once to die, and then the judgment, their opportunity to surrender their lives is gone. We have one life to live, to follow, and so the heartbreak and heartache beyond that to eternal torment for those individuals in that judgment, not being covered with the blood of Christ will be a horrific day. For those who are followers of Jesus, of course, God seeing the blood of Jesus covering our sin, covering our lives, it will be an incredible day. Verse 12, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, and blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life. So this washing, this idea of of that, typically we think of if we put clothes into a washer, uh, they're to come out cleaner, brighter colors, whiter whites, uh, they're to look better. So when we walk around, people don't think that we're filthy dirty, of course, unless we've been in the yard and have to run to Home Depot. And then we naturally have dirt and other things. We think of clean cleanliness as this washing that takes place. Well, What does this washing refer to? It's not the picture of a white robe. It's actually the picture of a blood-saturated robe, the blood of Christ covering our lives, covering us. We see those truths in a couple of different places. Revelation, I'm going to bounce around a little bit. Revelation 11, 18. The nations raged, but your wrath came. The time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. We give thanks to you, God Almighty, who is and was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. So we see this picture of the nations raging against God. We see repeatedly in the Old Testament, and then uh, what will be coming, the nation raged, but your wrath came. That is coming when Christ returns. And then for the judgment of the living and the dead. We also see in uh, Revelation 7:14. Actually beginning in 13, then one of the elders addressed me saying, "Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come?" I said to him, "Sir, you know." And he said to me, "These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb." And so we see this picture once again, of this being cleansed, cleaned by the blood of Jesus. How when we see God one day, when we leave this planet and go to him and see him, he will either see the blood of Jesus covering our sin or the blood of Jesus won't 
be there, thus our entrance or our exit from his presence for eternity. A judgment is coming of the only one who is rightful or it has the right to judge God, the Alpha and the Omega. And then progress to verse 14. Uh, once again, blessed are those who wash their robes, who have been washed, in other words, or the blood of Christ covers our lives so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates. And then, of course, it talks about those who are outside of that. Then verse 17, the Spirit says, and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. And then there's a warning about changing this book. And there's some who will add to or take away from or actually delete major sections of this scripture to suit whatever their personal desires are. It's easy to find. There's a verse that says uh, those who agree with us, regardless of our position, to suit what their itching ears want to hear. Uh, we would much rather be affirmed in what we believe and what we state than to have conflict. The word is clear, and we know as followers of Jesus, there are times when we hold to the word, actually, all of the time when we hold to the word. When people who are not followers of Jesus will come into conflict with us, trying to sway us uh, opinion-wise and saying, well, that may be right for you, but it's not right for me. But we see the truth of God's word is right for all. So whether they agree with us or not, our responsibility is to hold to God's word to cling to him. And then we see in verse 20 that we're to live differently than those who, of course, don't have a relationship with Christ, even from some who do, that we're to live with a sense of urgency. Verse 20, he who testifies these things say, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And then he, of course, extends the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. The sense of urgency is interesting. Not just the sense of anticipation or expectation for Christ to return, but our actually living with a sense that he could come back at any point. Now again, there are some who, for whatever reason, theologically believe that uh, he will not return in our lifetime. That even though it says his coming is soon, that the uh, time of Christ's return will be soon, some uh, hold to the fact that that soonness will not take place again within our lifetime. I'm actually of a different opinion. I've thought since I was young that Christ would return in the course of our lifetimes. Now, I don't know that he will. I am not God, and I don't know the mind or the timing of God in his return, but it should provoke in us a desire to be so desperate for those who are lost that we want to share the gospel with as many as possible in the moments that God provides us to be able to share. So we ask ourselves the question, when was the last time I actually shared the gospel with someone? Not just my personal story, because that is part of it, but the gospel, the truth, that Christ came, lived, died, rose again for the opportunity for that individual to know him and not just to spend eternity with him, which is definitely a part of following Jesus, but that God will change your life now. How urgent are we to tell and share with our neighbors? In 1988, I remember my parents studying and reading that book. A sense of urgency was provoked in their lives where they began to share with everyone, even more so than they had before, because they really believed 
that Christ could, would come back. And so they wanted to make sure that everyone they knew was without excuse. So they began to share the gospel more readily. Now, obviously, again, he didn't return in 1988. But the concept is the same. Do our lives burn? Do we have such a passion for the lost that as we awake in the morning, our first thought goes to the mercy, grace, and goodness of God in our lives? But how in the course of that day, he would allow us to be able to express and share the gospel with the lost? What do our prayer lists look like? How many lost individuals are actually on our prayer lists? Where are we related to those around us who don't know? Is there a pressing need on our hearts and lives to share? It's like muzzling an ox. We fall so deeply in love with me, Tiffany, 20 years ago, you with your spouses, for those of you who are married. In those initial days, especially when the engagement came, couldn't help but to with joy share, guess what? I'm getting married. Tiffany and I told everyone. Couldn't wait for it to come out of our mouths because we were so excited with joy, so in love with one another that we readily shared that with those we knew. How different is that in our lives with Christ? That we are so overflowing because of our relationship with him, because of spending time with him, because of who he is and who he is relationally with us that we just can't help but to share. He is always on our lips, at the forefront of our tongue. We can't help but to express it. Words and actions alike for the sake of the gospel. How long has it been since you've shared? In 1972, there was a movie called The Thief in the Night. I know I'm going all the way back again. This is the third time in the message, but how many of you remember that movie, Thief in the Night? Okay, I don't necessarily uh, encourage those of you who haven't seen it to go watch it, uh, unless you want to see bad acting from the early 1970s and some bell bottoms, but I remember watching that as a five-year-old. It came on, I think, ABC or NBC. Uh, they showed that thing without commercials. I remember that. Scared me to death. Uh, shows a woman waking up and she hears a razor in the bathroom and electric razor and she just had this, this dream, this nightmare about how Christ was coming back and she walked in and there's the razor on the counter, zzz, husband's gone. And then we hear this Larry Norman song. Uh, if you know of Larry Norman, uh, who wrote a lot of those songs back in the 60s and 70s about the return of Christ and uh, one of the lines in that song, I wish we'd all been ready, uh, was there's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. So there was this haunting song playing in this movie. And so I remember as a lost kid, really just figuring out sin and, and all that, what that was in my own life, then I, just, I was just panicked. And so um, as a result, uh, my sisters who were getting baptized I didn't understand it. I just thought, well, baptism's it. And so I followed them and, and got baptized uh, because I wanted to make sure that I was ready. Of course, not, again, recognizing sin and salvation and all of that at that point that came later in my life. Uh, but this concept of an urgency, a sense of desire that we 
are constantly ready, constantly looking for opportunities that God gives us to share. He is coming. He is coming soon. So the question for today, more than any other, if he were to return today, in this moment, are you ready? We spent time in communion earlier, so as far as the confession of sin, repentance, and, and all those things that go along with that in our communing with the Father, those, of course, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, that is not salvation, that is just making our hearts right. If Christ were to return now, which he could return at any point, are you ready? If Christ were to return now, would those around you have heard the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the gospel? Possibly even from your mouth. Have you had the conversations? If he chooses to return, which again, God knows the timing of that, 500 years from now, and it would not be in our lifetime, are we doing everything with a sense of urgency, living as if he were coming back now? Are our hearts and lives ready? And are those around us ready? Or do we need to pray for a greater sense of urgency and live that out with those around us who are dying and lost, hopeless, in need? Where are you today? Let's pray together.